At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey, everybody. Here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are working on a series about working moms. So moms, we want to hear from you. We want your stories of discrimination in the workplace, especially people in part-time jobs, low-wage jobs, or maybe you missed out on a promotion. Dads, what about you? Have you been denied flex time when you started a family? Send your stories to hello at longestshortesttime.com with the subject work. And thanks. Hi, Alex. It's nice to finally talk to you. I know. It's insane. <laughs> I looked back on the email chain and I was like, oh my God, have I been writing to Hillary about this for so long? About four years ago, out of the blue, I got this amazing email. It was from a woman named Alex on the other side of the world. Sometimes it feels more cathartic to send it to someone that's so far away. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. No, I get it. (laughs) Alex was feeling itchy. She'd been with her partner, Ben, for a year. Things were getting serious. They were talking about maybe moving in together. And Alex wrote me that she had this question rattling around inside her brain. But she hadn't yet figured out how to bring it up with Ben. I think I was really keen to speak to him about his attitude towards having kids, whether he'd be interested in having kids. Um... And I was a bit freaked out by that because I wasn't sure that he was that keen. Also, uh, I use walking sticks and a wheelchair. And so part of having kids is going to be different for me than it's going to be for some other people. And that felt kind of freaky as well. Um, I'm not sure what was scarier, actually, the, the part about just broaching the subject or the part about the sticks in the wheelchair. Yeah. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hilary Frank. And this question, will we or won't we start a family? It's a tough one, right? We've talked about this before on the show. Like, it it takes a lot of guts to tell the person you love that you want this, to ask them if they want it too, especially if you have an inkling they might say no. For Alex, though, the stakes were especially high, so high that she held on to her question for four years, confiding in me about her nerves along the way. Today, she'll tell you how she mustered the guts to ask her big question, and about how a seemingly supernatural stuffed animal helped her to take that leap. Alex. 
Alex listens to this show from her home in Australia. I get lots of emails like the first one she sent, basically saying, I'm going through this specific thing. I haven't heard you talk about it yet. Would you consider talking about it? And then I'll write back and I'll say, hey, it sounds like you have a story to tell. Would you like to tell your story? And the person will write back to me and say, no, 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 not my story. I just want to hear someone tell a story like mine. That's pretty much what happened with Alex, except that Alex left the door open a tiny sliver. She gave me a maybe later, which four years ago I took as a giant invitation to keep checking in with her to see if maybe now was the right time. And with each email, the door seemed to open a little wider. I have loved having Alex as a pen pal. She's a deep thinker, really witty. I enjoy all of the Aussie words she uses, like mom instead of mom, nappy instead of diaper. Her emails read like scenes from a play, which makes sense given what she does for a living. I am a writer, theater maker, storyteller, community development worker, English teacher. Which profession do you want? But it was how she talked about this little stuffed animal, a lamb, that really got me. I was like, people need to hear about this lamb. You guys will see what I mean. Now, Alex was wary of telling her story on the show because her friend Emma, who's blind, had warned her that stories about people with disabilities tend to focus too much on the disability. You know, nobody wants to be identified by one part of themselves. Nobody wants to be just anything, just an Australian, just a mom, just a person from this cultural group or that cultural group. You know, nobody is just one thing. Um, Yeah, but sometimes it's hard for people to get that, I think. Alex, as you heard, wears a ton of different hats, but one of them is the fact that she's got cerebral palsy. She was born two months early and stopped breathing for a short time just after she was born, which damaged the part of her brain that controls movement. Cerebral palsy symptoms range super widely. On the severe end, a person can have trouble moving their trunk and limbs, even talking, and will require full-time care for life. On the mild end, a person can move around with little or no assistance. Alex is on the mild end of the spectrum. She uses a motorized wheelchair or walking sticks to get around, and those allow her to do pretty much everything she wants. It does take her longer to get places, and little fiddly tasks can be a challenge. Just when I chop veggies for dinner, for example, I don't chop them super neatly. Um, My partner said to call it rustic. (laughs) Rustic chopping is not a thing Alex is especially worried about, except maybe that one time she volunteered to help out at a friend's party by chopping up some cheese. I really tried hard so that it wasn't, like wasn't outside the normal range of pieces of cheese. Like it wasn't ridiculous, Uh, but it wasn't completely neat. And she just said, I can't put that cheese out there. Like I can't show that cheese to people. And I was like, (laughs) so I'm a little bit clumsy. I wouldn't kind of encourage me to join your need a work class or whatever. I'm not super good at those kind of fine motor skills. Um, but actually, as you get older, you end up being expected to do less of that stuff. Um, so it's super important when you're three, right, whether you can color in between the lines. Um, but it's actually fairly irrelevant to your adult life. Alex has figured out a way of moving through the world that totally works for her. Sometimes that means being a little unconventional. She'll often grab the cutting board and do her veggie chopping while sitting on the floor, for example. Extra rustic. For the most part, 
Alex thinks of CP as a very small part of her life compared to all the other things she's got going on, like the TEDx talk that she got to give, or the PhD she's pursuing in creative writing, or the novel she's working on about a fictional new language that's emerging in Australia. But cerebral palsy does shape Alex's story because of the unique perspective that it's given her on the world. Can you remember when you were a kid learning that you had a disability? I remember people saying a lot, uh, she might not walk. And I thought, well, stuff them. They're just going to have to cope with the fact that I can't walk. That's ridiculous. And I actually like imagined myself like at a cocktail party crawling around because I was doing a lot of crawling at that stage. Wait, how old uh, are you? Oh, uh, like, I don't know, like four or something. I must have watched some <laughs> stupid soap opera on television to even know that they were cocktails. But I had this vision of myself like being an adult but crawling everywhere. And, of course, that just doesn't – like that doesn't work. Being in a chair works fine. Walking with sticks works fine. But, like, crawling will really make people stare at you. But at the age of, I don't know, four or five, I was like, stuff them. They're just going to have to deal. A couple years ago, Alex gave a talk to a group of young people with disabilities that she later shared with me. In it, she talks about how as a kid, she always felt poised on this knife edge between feeling completely herself and being swallowed up by the barrier she was facing. In this speech, she said that in high school... I was also having trouble understanding when people were acting strange around me because they were uncomfortable with disability rather than because I had parsley in my teeth. And without knowing the difference, it was difficult to put them at ease. Listening to Alex, it sounds like one of the weirdest things about growing up with cerebral palsy wasn't actually the disability itself, but rather having to interpret other people's reactions to it. There's one incident that I particularly remember, which is that um, we went to visit another school and I remember wandering around the room. So generally I just use walking sticks um, and ditch my chair unless I need to walk quite a long way. Um, so I was kind of walking around the room and a lot of people didn't, well, nobody knew me and a lot of people were ignoring me. And, um, I was maybe 15 and I remember thinking, this is really weird because I'm a really kind of vivacious person or go up to a party and talk to anyone. And it just literally didn't occur to me on that particular evening that, the students I was talking to didn't have any kids with disabilities at the school probably and they didn't have any experience with that. I just kind of thought um, I, I'm not making a connection with these people and I don't really understand why. And it wasn't until the next day that I went, ah, oh, I think they were just freaked out about the sticks. Um, I think that's the thing is like – for other people, it seems really visible and really obvious unless I'm sitting on a couch and I've got my sticks on the floor. But um, for me, it's not something I think about at all. So I literally have to kind of insert it into my thinking sometimes. So I remember someone saying to me, how can you deal with people looking at you all the time? And I'm like, oh, really? I didn't notice they were looking at me. I was too busy walking. Alex's parents, for their part, encouraged Alex to pursue everything she wanted in life. Her mom always told her there was a great destiny in store for her. But Alex says her mom also knew Alex would face some ugly reactions to her disability, and she tried to prepare her for it. I guess mom was looking for ways to talk to me about, about my future. And one day she sat me down to watch a movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mom, 
This is John. Dr. Prentice, I'm so pleased to meet you. I'm pleased to meet you, Mrs. Drayton. And I think everyone knows the movie, African-American guy, his white girlfriend. They they all kind of get surprised, I guess, that they're dating someone outside of their community. And then, of course, they go to dinner and they have a few misconceptions to overcome. Mrs. Drayton, I'm medically qualified, so I hope you wouldn't think it presumptuous if I say you ought to sit down before you fall down, I mean. He thinks you're going to faint because he's a Negro. So I guess... Mum was trying to talk to me about that, um, you know, the fact that I was a teenager and that maybe at some point I'd have a boyfriend and that maybe at some point I might have some misconceptions to overcome, you know, which which is true. Um, so, that, like, that seems completely logical to me now, but at whatever age my mum decided to do this, I was just so angry at her, unbelievably angry. I literally, I remember uh, she said something like, so, what did you think of the movie? And I was like, oh, it was great. Um, yeah. And then she brought up this topic of conversation and and I just kind of nodded and made noises and actually had to go run off to my room to stop myself screaming. Why did you feel like screaming? Because the whole premise of the movie felt really far away for me. I was going through a stage where I decided that no one would want to date me uh, because of my disability. And I was so angry because I thought, you know what, if I had a boyfriend and then that boyfriend wanted me to meet his family and then, like, on top of that, they, you know, they, they had a bit of an issue, that would be fine. That would be my dream life, that movie, if, if I could just get to that point. <laughs> Does that make any sense? It does. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I hasten to add, like, is complete bullshit because I had my birth first boyfriend, you know, at about 17, roughly on cue with everyone else in the world. But I think that's just the way teenagers are. Everything's a disaster and everything's fabulous and then everything's a disaster again. Alex did end up having a pretty standard dating life, even dated a guy pretty seriously for about eight months when she was 25. Then, a few years later, she was at a friend's housewarming party. There was a guy there, kind of nerdy and annoyingly persistent, kept coming up to Alex to talk. Then he'd leave and come back again. And I was like, who is this guy? He was kind of, I think he had a beanie on. And I was just like, I don't understand. Why doesn't he just go away and let me talk to my friend? Mr. Annoying was Ben. Yes, the Ben Alex has been writing to me about for four years. Alex didn't know it, but her friend was actually trying to set them up. And after a fair amount of nudging from friends and family, she reluctantly agreed to go on a date with him. On that first date, how did that go? Did you did you start liking him more? Uh, not really. Um, but I didn't not like him. As we got to go and know each other more, I realized that we're really geeky in similar ways. What geeky stuff were you into? Well, we're really all into lots of, um, we're into books and ideas and world music and, um, and talking about history in the world. Alex agreed to go on another date with Ben and then another and another until they'd been seeing each other for several months. And then my grandmother went into hospital and 
Uh, my mum called me while we were having coffee one day and I said, oh, look, sorry, I've got to go. I have no idea what's going on. My grandmother's in the hospital. It's all crazy. And he said, oh, I'll drive you there. It's fine. And we we stuck the wheelchair at the back of the car, which is actually quite difficult because it's big and heavy and annoying. And then he waited around in the hospital foyer and, and I just thought, oh, wow, like... I don't know if you can fall in love with someone just because they're a good person. Like, I think I was already kind of in love with him. I was already kind of attracted to him. But then it was like that incident pushed it over the, over the line. When we come back, Alex walks into her own guess who's coming to dinner moment. Stay with us. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. <laughs> We're back with my Australian pen pal, Alex. When we left off, things had just started to get serious with her partner, Ben. What was it like meeting his family? Uh, uh, awkward, um, because his mum's kind of private person. So we didn't meet for, for ages. Um, and I thought she was making a deliberate decision not to meet me because I don't know, she didn't want me around or something. Alex did eventually meet Ben's mom over coffee. And after getting to know her, she realized Ben's family is just a lot more private than hers. His mom had just been giving them some space. It wasn't personal. But something did come up. I think she did have some concerns that somehow, how would my life work if if I had a wheelchair? And what would that mean that Ben would be responsible for doing? Um, and then I actually went on a, on a work trip to, to Cairns, which is another city. Um, in It's actually in North Queensland. And so... Somehow, because I went on the work trip to Cairns, I then became, it became okay for her. She realized that if I could go away to Cairns on my own, then I must be able to look after myself and that maybe Ben wasn't putting himself in a position where he would be nursing me or something. It's so interesting though, Alex, because it it sounds so much like what your mom was kind of warning you about when you watched Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, totally. hundred percent. You know, like what my mum was trying to say to me was completely sensible. Yeah. (laughs) With the mom hurdle cleared, 
Alex became more and more sure that Ben was her person. She started imagining a future with him. Friends were asking when they were planning to move in together, which then made the big relationship question at the back of Alex's mind jump to front and center. I really wanted to talk to him about the fact that I I wanted to have a child, um, but I didn't know how to do that. Alex had always known she wanted to be a mom. She was a kid person, loved working with them in theater and community development projects, and she loved telling them stories, something her mom used to do with her when she was little. So I'm like imagining that I would be able to do fun stuff with my kid, crafty stuff and talking and listening to the radio and probably getting puke all over my T-shirt and then going to the post office or something. I don't know, I guess... Fairly standard stuff. And was there anything about Ben that led you to believe he might not want to be a dad? <laughs> um, I think he he makes lots of jokes. And especially when we when we first got together, he made lots of jokes about kids and kids being a bit of a pain in the neck. And I wondered whether that was him trying to tell me that he didn't want to have kids. So I didn't want to put him in a position where I was forcing him to have a kid. But then also we hadn't had this conversation, so I was kind of making up his replies in my head. You've been there, right? When you're stuck on how to ask a question, something that's like really scary to ask, so you go scavenger hunting for clues instead. Lots of the Ben clues pointed to not wanting kids. He was older than Alex by almost a decade. He'd been in a serious relationship before. They'd even owned a house together. Alex figured if he didn't have kids then, maybe it was by design. She also knew that Ben had grown up without his dad around. His parents divorced when he was two. So maybe his ideas about fatherhood weren't too positive. And I I guess I don't worry about disability that much, but it also concerned me the kinds of things I knew I would find hard when I had a little baby. Um, Some stuff that I can avoid doing now. I wouldn't really be able to avoid if I had a baby. So I was concerned that he might see that as too much work or that he just might not want to have kids at all anyway with anyone. What would you have to do in your life as a mom that you don't need to do now? Um, so one of the things that I'm not as good at, I guess, is little fiddly things that involve fine motor skills. And most of the time, nobody even really notices that. Um, but I'm concerned that when I do stuff like changing nappies, like what if the kid is wiggling and what if, I don't know, I stick them. And, and also like, just like I, I have lots of friends with kids cause I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. So a lot of my friends have had kids in the last couple of years and I see kind of all of the little things that need to be done, like little tiny things, but they're constant and little tiny constant things is exactly what takes me longer. Coloring in the lines, cutting paper snowflakes, all the kid stuff that takes manual dexterity, Alex had left this stuff far behind, but having a child meant intentionally bringing it all back into her life. So I guess I've never, I've never let that um, rule out the idea of having kids in my head. I've never thought I couldn't have kids, but in 
the reality of it is that I'm concerned how that would affect my relationship with with someone. And then, of course, there was there was a someone, like there was a Ben who I wanted to be with forever and ever and who I would like to have a kid with. And so it all became like super real. So this, this conversation I'd been having in my head about how it might affect a relationship with a partner if that partner had to do a few extra things because I couldn't do them fast enough then became like, oh, my God, actual person. Oh my God, actual conversation. As much as Alex wanted to have this actual conversation, she couldn't find the right moment to bring it up. They were still working out the logistics of moving in together and career stuff and money stuff. Alex turned this all over and over in her mind. Instead of talking to Ben, she started emailing me just to kind of get those thoughts out. In one of her emails, she mentioned that she'd figured out a plan to move the question forward. I, I passed uh, an op shop. So I think in the States, that's called a thrift store. Um, yes. And there was this little um, toy lamb in the window of the shop. And uh, I don't know, it's like it it was just Like amazing. a stuffed animal you know, lamb? Yeah, like a stuffed animal, except that it was the most amazing stuffed animal you've ever seen because it was like – you know, when you're a kid and you hear those stories about how your toys wake up at midnight and do things while you're asleep, uh-huh. this, when I was looking in the window, it was just like this little lamb was alive. But at the time I was like, that lamb is so cute. But at the same time, like, I'm not the kind of adult who buys myself stuffed toys. Why am I, why would I buy that? So I was also, I was kind of looking for an excuse to buy it, even though it was only $3.50. So buying it wasn't like an issue. Um, (laughs) so I said to myself, well, look, it's a little lamb. If I buy it, it'll remind me to have the conversation with Ben. I'll be forced to do it because it'll be sitting there in my house. Where where, where did you put the lamb when you brought it home? Ah, that was tough because as I said, I'm not that kind of person who buys myself stuffed toys. It seemed like a, (laughs) yeah, a bit of a weird thing to do. And also I didn't want him to think it was weird. So I think I showed him the toy like straight away. And I said, isn't this toy awesome? How ridiculous that I bought myself a toy, but look at it. It's, it's wonderful. And luckily he agreed. Um, (laughs) I think I put it on my chest of drawers and, uh, on the top of it. And it kind of sat there for a while and it became a joke between us. So, um, it has a name, um, oracular lamb, which is, you know, it's an oracle because it always seemed to be looking at us in such a wise way. So it it, it developed this whole life that was separate from the question that I wanted to ask just because it was so generally awesome. And then I was concerned that I would wreck that joke for us as a couple. For years, the oracular lamb just sat there on her dresser, eyes gleaming as Alex imagined it contemplating her future. Every once in a while, I'd write to Alex to see if she'd had the conversation yet. And every time, the lamb had not yet been deployed. I thought it was funny that here I was, half a world away, and I knew the purpose of the lamb. But Ben still didn't. And I mean, I get it. Is there ever a good time to have a conversation that might end really badly? I was really afraid I was going to wreck everything. Everything was feeling quite precarious. So I was afraid that if I said, look, I really want to have kids or a kid, because I really just want to have the one, um, that he would be like, okay, well, that's not really what I want to do with my life. And then I didn't want to really deal with that response. I don't know. I didn't want to, I didn't want it to become a fight 
about whether we were going to have a kid or not. Ben and Alex did eventually move in together. The lamb moved in with them. There were even a few sideways conversations about maybe getting married. Alex told me the kid question was right on the tip of her tongue, but she didn't say it. Now, Alex is not somebody who apologizes for who she is. She gets up on stage and performs live stories that she makes up on the fly. She emails American podcast hosts out of the blue, bearing her soul. And when people sometimes get a little awkward around her or underestimate what she can do, stuff them. And yet, here was this silent drama playing out slowly over months between Alex and a tiny stuffed animal. For as many challenges as Alex had faced head-on in her life, something about this one felt different. I find it in general um, really quite difficult to talk about. I mean, you would know, Hillary, that I've spent quite a lot of time saying to you, oh, look, the show is fantastic, but I don't want to be on the show. It's, you know, it's only such a small part of who I am as a person. Yeah. Maybe I could talk about my work or my study or my novel manuscript or God knows. But um, I think... And I, and I think that comes from the fact that sometimes when I tell these stories, um, what people get out of the stories is, is not what I'm expecting them to get at all. Um, so sometimes they identify something that I find to be a complete non-issue as something that must be really tough for me, whereas the things that are actually really tough, um, they – they they don't notice those things or they don't it doesn't appear to people in that story as if as if that's the big deal of the story so i have to be careful who i discuss this stuff with i think watching me do something for example in the kitchen that might take me slightly longer or watching me do something like uh, go on my bum down a set of stairs because the stairs are too steep and I've got the heebie-jeebies and there's nobody there. That doesn't concern me at all, but it concerns other people um, a lot, really a lot. What measures do you take in your life to prevent people from making assumptions about you or you know, having misconceptions? Um. Often I leave the chair aside and make sure that I'm walking when people see me first if they haven't met me before. Uh, I would generally park it outside of a meeting. Otherwise, they will spend a whole lot of time worrying about something that's not their job to worry about. Um, I've done a lot of like just smiling and convincing people that they don't need to do stuff like open doors for me and things like that. It, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to say I've never appreciated someone offering me help, um, for example. Uh, but there is a thing where if I open a door, I'm, um, I'm sometimes leaning my weight on the open door as I'm opening it. And if I go to, um, if someone takes that door away from me, I'll actually lose my balance mm -hmm. because of the way I open a door. I'm quite fine. The fact that it's taking me a couple extra seconds to open the door it is not really a problem. So actually that's not the frustrating part for me. The frustrating part is if I say, oh, thanks very much. I'm fine. And then they, they I'm not believed at that point. Mm -hmm. That's the frustrating part. Alex says people will make these well-meaning comments, totally underestimating her. They'll tell her she's doing great when she accomplishes a minor everyday task, like boarding a bus. Or they'll say things like, 
and this is amazing, but she says it actually happens. They'll say, wow, you're too pretty to have been born with a disability, which yuck. I did have one experience where I was talking to a neighbor and I mentioned that um, we didn't have any kids yet. Um, And she was an older lady and she just looked at me like, what? You consider having children? And so I just had to kind of walk away. Do you have any friends with disabilities who have children? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, Emma, uh, I met because she was the head of a disability arts organization where I live. Um, and she's also a trained opera singer. She's blind and her husband is also blind and they have two kids. This is the same friend who warned Alex to be cautious about coming on the show. So after I spoke to you, I called Emma because I felt like, really, I have this resource that I can draw on. Uh, And she said, one thing to be aware of is that uh, if you think you get a lot of comments now about disability stuff, um, you will get really a lot when you have children. Um, And particularly um, a lot of strangers saying things like how, how brave your kids are or how helpful they are or um, how wonderful they are to be, to be helping you out as if, as if you're not the parent in the scenario. So she said, just be aware that you're going to get a lot more of that. Um, if you have a kid. Does that worry you? Um, no, not really. I was glad to be warned, uh, cause I hadn't really thought about the comments that I would normally get being replaced with a whole slew of other comments that are more about the kids than they are about me. So I feel like if I'm pre-warned of that, thanks, Emma, um, then that probably won't bug me. That's not the stuff that concerns me about having kids. Here's what does concern Alex about having kids. Babies throw food all over the place. They spit up. They have blowout diapers. And the reality is... A lot of that responsibility would fall on Ben. It would just be easier that way, faster. Alex knew a baby would make her exhausted, just like they make everyone exhausted. But maybe that exhaustion would lead her to make mistakes. She pictured the kid climbing on a coffee table when she wasn't looking or running out into the road, and she wouldn't be quick enough to catch him. And these fears, they had to be part of the conversation with Ben. They had to talk about the fact that having a baby, at least at first, would make things less balanced. Alex felt that Ben understood her better than anyone. But babies change relationships. And what if having a baby changed the way Ben saw Alex? What if he went from being the guy who loved her rustic veggies to the guy who held the door for her? And then maybe we lived together for a few months and the lamb was still there. And then all of a sudden, like, it just got big in my head. So one Tuesday night, I ended up in tears of like, "Ah!" and he's like, what's wrong? There's this quote from Anton Chekhov. Maybe you've heard it. It's about how if there's a gun on the wall in the first act of a play, it's got to go off in the third. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have placed a stuffed lamb on a dresser. And in a minute, that lamb's going to go off. Don't go away. Oh, you have your mouth open, 
Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. <laughs> We are back with Alex and the lamb, which unbeknownst to her boyfriend, Ben, is loaded with meaning. So how did the conversation go? Tell, tell me, like, walk me through it. How did it start? Uh, so I think the problem was that I was already upset before it started. <laughs> and then he wanted to know why I was upset. And I said, I don't know, or I can't tell you or something. And then eventually I said, well, look, you know, I bought this lamb. And one of the reasons why I wanted to buy it was because I wanted to have the conversation with you about the fact that I'd like to have a kid one day. And I'm really terrified to have that conversation because I feel like you're so amazing as a person and I don't want it to wreck the relationship. I said, you know, if I, I just need to know if you definitely don't want to have kids, I still want to be with you. Like, I think this is something really special and I can definitely imagine my life without a child, but I would also really like to have one. So I just want if it's a no, I just need to know directly rather than me trying to guess uh, what your answer to that question would be. Uh, of course, he was great about it. He's actually really remarkably good with these kinds of things. I don't know what I was so worried about. He ended up staying home from from his martial arts class, which is a big deal um, because he that's the thing that he does in the week that he really, really loves. And we had this enormous, like, three-hour-long conversation about it. Um, but the lamb did its job. I still was able to start by talking about one of the reasons that I bought the lamb was I wanted to speak to you about this. And he said, no, I'm not, like, completely anti-having kids. I just never really my mom didn't put any pressure on me to have kids and I'd never really thought about it I had lots of friends who chose not to have kids but I'm definitely not saying no out of the gate um yeah so I don't know lots more discussions that's how it ended tears etc no no it went on for hours god it was the worst (laughs) (laughs) Um, what does he have to say about the that idea that there might be more burden on him? He didn't seem to think it was as big a deal as I did. Um, I think for him it's more about the idea of having kids in general rather than having kids with me. Um, wh- so where did that conversation 
land. Uh, do you, are you guys going to try to have a kid together? Um, it landed on, on not yet. Um, as in he's open to having a kid, but we're not in a particularly good life moment. Although all my friends tell me that there is no good life moment. And how are you feeling? Do you feel relieved? Yeah, yeah. It was a big relief because now I feel like it's an open topic of conversation. So, I mean, it's not really resolved, but I think the main reason that it's not resolved actually has less to do with the baby and more to do with all the other crazy things we're currently doing in our lives. Um, So now we can have jokes about it or we can continue to talk about it, and I feel like when I submit my uh, thesis later in the year that I want to have that conversation again. Um, yeah, so it, it went from something that was really a really big invisible presence elephant in the room to being just a thing, just a thing that we we can talk about. It's interesting because um, you're very clear about how, um, you know, you you don't in your everyday life imagine yourself having a disability. Um, It's more like there are inconveniences to certain aspects of your life. But, But when you talk about this, it feels like you're putting the disability on yourself more than Ben is. Yeah. So I think that's because it's something that I haven't done yet. So I I think honestly that um, in my reaction to every new phase of my life, I have this moment of like, oh, you know, could I leave home or is that going to be too difficult? Am I going to find the obstacles or inconveniences to be too insurmountable. Oh no, I've now been living out of home for the last 10 years. Clearly they weren't insurmountable or impossible or, you know, how am I going to go in the workforce or how am I going to go doing this thing or that thing? So I think I was thinking about this and I think it's, it's not different than other questions in my life. It's just a, a thing that happens where, because I haven't started to do it yet, because it's in the future, it feels more difficult than it will if it actually happens. In that talk I mentioned earlier, the one that Alex gave to young people with disabilities, she said something that felt totally universal to me. She talked about how most people feel like they're faking it at least once a week in their jobs, with their clothes, how they speak. I think this is especially true for parents. I for sure feel like I'm faking it at least once a week, or let's be honest, once a day. I'm going to keep writing to Alex because I just like writing to Alex, but also because I'm curious to know what happens. Who knows how this will turn out? Maybe only the lamb. I feel excited for Alex, though, knowing that Ben's in it for the long haul and for faking it together. If you want to see some of Alex's storytelling in action, check out her TEDx talk, 
We will link to that as well as some resources for parenting with a disability on our website, longestshortesttime.com. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. What big, scary questions have you had to tackle with your partner as you thought about making a family? Let us know in the comments for this episode. That's episode 133. This podcast is produced by me, Hillary Frank, with Kristen Clark and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov and directed by Allison Layton Brown. We also use music from Johnny Ripper, Kevin McLeod, and the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado, Antonia Akatunde, and Rekha Murthy. Next week, on The Longest Shortest Time, how to choose a girlfriend if you're a 13-year-old boy in 1949. What about Anne? She knows how to have a good time and how to make the fellow with her relax, have fun too. Yes, that's what a boy likes. He wants to know he's appreciated. We will be talking about the history of sex ed with a bona fide historian. There is so much upside down stuff American kids have learned about sex, you guys. You don't want to miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever you like. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories. Right now, we're especially looking for your weird parenting wins. You know, all those things that you do to manipulate your kids that you would never hear from an expert. We are making a book of these things, and I really, really want to see some wins from parents with disabilities. So please submit them. That's longestshortesttime.com and click participate. Oh, hey, everybody. I'm Dave Holmes. And I'm Matt McConkie, the sidekick that Dave Holmes never wanted. You're not a sidekick. You are a full co-host. Oh, please. I should be so lucky to have that title. on. We are on an equal footing here. And homophilia. Homophilia. It's uh, all about us, Mm -hmm. me and Matt, Mm -hmm. talking to a wide variety of LGBTQI plus uh, exclamation point individuals about mm-hmm. their lives about their their pop culture diets mm-hmm. what they're watching on TV what they're loving and and who they're loving who so they're loving. we're gonna take a deep dive into their personal lives mm-hmm. ask some very intrusive questions yep. you know about what their current dating status is what how did they come out what was their biggest heartbreak uh, what's going on in their grinder account can we see their grinder account can we improve their grinder account oh yeah <laughs> we'll be uh, releasing new episodes every Friday. Homophilia is coming to you uh, beginning Friday, August 11th on Earwolf. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.